Well, it's good to be with you today. Sorry my voice sounds a little weird, but you'll get used to it. Um, hopefully it strengthens as I go if you're doing your job and praying for me. But, uh, today we've come, we're going through the book of Matthew, and we've come to Matthew chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Matthew 18. Now, most people who have been around the church very long when they hear about Matthew 18, they think of one thing. There's, there are three verses in here that are taken to be interpreted that, that within the church, you have an alter, uh, alternative to suing someone, that if you have a problem with them, you go to them, and then you bring witnesses, and then you bring them before the church, and the church will thrash them and throw them out. Um, that's not what it's teaching at all, but that's, that's become a power play within the church where the church wields this authority to be able to settle disputes by kicking somebody out. Um, as, you, as we go through this chapter, you'll see that it's teaching anything but that. Um, but let's just jump in right at the beginning, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So weird that they're still, they do this every once in a while. Like they had a concept that a couple of the disciples, like Peter, James, and John, would sometimes get treated in a special way, but it wasn't enough even just to be one of those. It's like, who's the best? Who's the most important? Now, as we will see going through this passage, the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God, is anything but a place where you can get power. That your power is relative to what someone else's power is. Nothing, nothing would be more opposite that in God's economy than that kind of mentality. But, you know, people are people. And especially when we're infected by this sick desire to, to control other people. Um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it happens in the church just like it does anywhere else. And so here, it's not enough to be one of the disciples. It's like, okay, which one of us is going to be the greatest? But Jesus called the little child to him. And set him in the midst of them. I don't know if he called over to children's ministry and had him send one over, but just kidding. Um, put the kid in the midst and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, that means if you're turned around, literally, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, there's something that I want you to understand about children, that if you don't understand it, you shouldn't be worried about who's greatest. You should be worried about whether you're included at all in the kingdom of heaven, in, in doing what God does in his kingdom. And I'm sure the last thing they were thinking of was the way to get into the kingdom is to be more immature, is to be more like a child. And yet, Jesus is letting them understand that the harder they work 
to be somebody, to be important, to be superior, the further they were moving away from everything that his kingdom is ultimately even about. You don't even enter. And therefore, in verse 4, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus talks about kids a lot. Um, Kids are a powerful communicator of what God's kingdom is like, of what God wants to be. Kids are such a gift from God, but they, they are more than just a gift because eventually they'll grow up and support us when we're old. But they teach us about what's really important. They, you know, I mean, when you look at kids, you see just a, a simplicity. You see, like, here they're competing with each other. Kids just want to play with other kids. They're gracious with each other for the most part, sure. Kids will get bratty, but they'll be fine like a few minutes later. They can hate somebody. They can tell you as a parent, I hate you, you know. But they don't. They love you. Even parents who are complete jerks, their kids still love them. It's amazing. But as Jesus is teaching here, kids are such an example to us, there's so much we can learn from watching children, but even more so than that, kids are a gift to us because us dealing with kids changes us as well. Certainly, if you're raising children, it's something that humbles you. You don't, you don't, raising kids is, is hard work, and so you're not worried about being the greatest parent. You're just like, I just hope I survive this thing. It's a great equalizer in a lot of ways when kids come into your life. So Jesus says that children have something in them that you need to imitate, but they also have an impact on you that you need to experience. I don't think it's ever a good thing to be too far removed from being around children. It's why God designed things that your kids grow up and then you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren if you're fortunate enough. Or we, you know, like we have vacation Bible school and people come and help with that or people volunteer in children's ministry or do different things. It's because being around kids not only keeps you young, I mean, sometimes it'll make you feel old. You'll feel like, oh gosh, I don't even know if I can do this. But they bring a perspective on life that we desperately need in our lives. They have a powerful impact on us. And when we see them, we see, we learn about trust. We learn about grace. We learn about fun. We learn about enthusiasm. We, I mean, you look at kids and they're excited about stuff that we take for granted. And yet, most of the things they're excited about, they really should be kind of exciting. Kids also trust in a way that adults really don't. I, I think of like um, my youngest granddaughter, and she once in a while she'll be over and she's getting tired, but she doesn't want to admit it. And so 
I would, I'd take her in my study and my rocking in my recliner and I, it rocks and, and I rock her and at first she's kind of fighting it. And then she starts messing around with my watch, my Apple watch and checking stock prices. She knows how to scroll through and see the stock prices and stuff. And then I, I start singing Jesus loves me and rocking and she just looks up with this precious look on her face and then gradually just fades into falling asleep. And there's nothing better in life than something like that. There's nothing better in life than playing with kids that want to play because they understand not less than us. They understand more than we do. And that's why Jesus says, it starts and ends there. But as you go on and and read what he has to say, it's not just the humility. Obviously, that's a huge thing. Um, But he says, what you do to them, you do to me. But look at this, but, verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels, interesting choice of words, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. He said, okay, you want to learn about humility? You can learn it from kids, but you can also learn it with kids. And, but he said, what goes with that is, don't mess with my kids. It'll be better for you that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be thrown to the bottom of the sea than you do things to take a child, a beautiful child, and distort their perspective and make life more difficult for them and push them off. And basically what he's saying is, don't raise your children to end up like you, where all you care about is how great you can be, how much you're better than everyone else. Don't, don't raise children in a way that destroys them. And he's, you know, very graphic there about any part of your body that's going to hurt a child, you'd be better off cutting that part of your body off um, rather than to injure a child. Now, if you look at our society today, children are almost treated like an afterthought. They're disposable. I mean, how do you think that, you know, if, if in fact that child is a gift from God to come out and teach us about life and priorities and humility, what do you think about those who think it's fine just to take a child late in their development, you know, inside their mother and just say, no, the baby's just a part of my body. I can just kill it. It's no big deal. How do you think... God feels about that. How do you think? And yet our society, it's 
more and more, the, the polls are saying that more and more people just think it's okay to kill an unborn child. And I think, wow, how twisted that is. But then when the kids are born and, and they're growing up, how do we treat them? Do we treat them like they're treasure? Do we treat them like they're disposable? Do we get them all whacked out with all kinds of weird gender stuff because we take our stupidity and try to impute it on them, take them to drag shows and things like that? It's ridiculous. The things that we're doing to hurt kids today is something that don't think that God doesn't notice. He sees it. It's important to him. It's incredibly important to him. And when you hurt children, you're hurting you. I think that in the spirit of what Jesus is saying too, we need to look at how we um, raise children, how we treat children, and take our cues from them somewhat. Instead of us having our system whereby what we do in education is what's best for the teachers, what's best for the adults. And so we find out that little boys are often really busy, so we drug them. And I'm not against all medication, but what I'm saying is, man, if what we're doing is medicating people, changing their bodies in ways we don't even know about, just so that it makes it easier for us, Actually, maybe you should be having a little more fun at school and it wouldn't be such a problem. Maybe you ought to look at how do kids learn and how do they develop because the cost of sacrificing a generation so that we make it all about what's best for the adults instead of what's best for the children. Jesus is going, you're getting this really backwards You're getting this really wrong. These kids are a gift from me. There's so much that they can teach you. But don't mess with them because they're mine. And they have angels who are looking at the face of my father. And there are real uh, consequences to treating kids in a way that they really are just somebody for you to dominate. You know, your kids are there so that People can look at your kids and think what a great parent you are instead of, you know, loving them and saying, I want to learn from them as well. I could go on about that all day, but my throat hurts anyway. So So then don't despise them. Keep going with them. And then even so, it's not the will of verse 14 is, is a trip. Think about what if this verse actually means what it says. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is after he he said right before that, that come on, if you have 100 sheep and one of them's astray, you leave the 99, you go after the stray. In other words, as you're dealing with children and as you're dealing with life, You need to look out for the strays. You don't just need to look out for the vast majority. The strays are key. And then he says, your father doesn't want to lose any of them. It's not a percentages game with him. He loves them all and wants to to be there for them all. Now, we get into verse 15, which is the passage of scripture that's used to refer what they call church discipline um, often. 
Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Now that word moreover, um, day, it's a conjunction in the Greek, but it directly connects what he's writing here to this whole idea of children and becoming more like children and becoming humble and not, be a, not being power hungry in the kingdom of God. It's ironic that these scriptures have caused churches to be really arrogant and call people out for their sin publicly and things like that, which is, is so wrong. But if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay, on the basis of what he's saying, that people are valuable, you don't go gossip about what people have done. You go talk to them if there's a problem. Kids are usually pretty good at this. They kind of naturally work things out uh, among themselves. So he says, do that. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Everything's fine. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So he said, don't make it a big deal, but if you're not getting along with somebody, um, you talk to them. Then maybe get a couple other people involved. Hey, come on, let's all talk this out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something that I can learn from it. How can we, how can we come up with a solution? And then, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, in Matthew 18, when Jesus said this, there was no such thing as the church as we know it. He's not talking about the elders of the church, the church authority, pastors, or it's not at all. He, he's using the word, and remember, Matthew was writing to the Jews. The Jews knew what the ecclesia, the church was. It was where they would have a place where rabbis would be there, and they were available just to do arbitration for people. You know, it's like a counselor. And they would listen to both sides, and they would try to help you to come up with a solution. This was not about power. This was about resolution. So he says, tell it to the ecclesia, get somebody else. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And we're like, yeah, at some point, I want him to be like a heathen. I want them to kick him out of church. That's what people do with this. Um, That word heathen there in the Greek is ethnikos. It means treat him like an ethnic minority. Now, in this day and age, is that way you get the idea of, oh, a heathen? No. See, all it, all it was was somebody who, he says, look at them like somebody who comes from a different culture than you, who has a different perspective or speaks the language differently than you do or something like that. Just, you've tried to resolve it, but then just go, okay, you have a different way of looking at it. Or treat them as a tax collector. It's like, you try talking to a tax person, any accountant, really, for the most part, it's like, okay. It's not that, oh, I won't talk to them. It's just, don't get into a big thing with them about what they know about and you don't. It's the same as talking to an engineer or anyone else. Just realize, okay, we can't come to a resolution because we just see things differently. But then... He says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he goes on to say, if you agree, you know, on earth, it'll be done. What he's saying is, how you get along with people 
has ramifications just not on earth, but in heaven. These are people that you're going to spend eternity with. And not only that, how you deal with people who have different perspectives than you could even affect whether or not they go to heaven. When earlier when Peter said, you know, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my Father which is in heaven. And then he said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. In other words, you have an influence on eternity. So how you, now, a part of this, again, in the context, is how you treat children affects whether or not they're going to end up being in heaven. This is huge. But how you treat anyone that you're either getting along with or not, if you don't learn to play nicely, most kids kind of know how to do this. Most adults, not so well. But if you don't do it, realize this could have eternal consequences. You being a jerk can actually affect whether somebody is even going to believe in Jesus or not. And so he says, this is a big deal. And then he goes on, and in verse 21, Peter came and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So remember in verse 15 it said, if your brother sins against you, go to him and talk to him, try to work it out, bring a couple other people, bring him to arbitration, then just go, okay, fine. He's, he sees things differently than I do. It's cool. But now Peter is want, wanting to know, how many times do I have to do this? And he, he said, should I do it seven times? And Jesus says, no. Seventy times seven. You do it 490 times. Now, does this sound like somebody who's trying to give you a way to draw a line in the sand and cut people out of your life or cut people out of your church? Or is this sounding like, look, you need to find ways to get along. You need to find ways to stay connected to each other. And then Jesus tells him this long parable of a, there was a king that, was very wealthy and he did an audit on his books and he found out that one of his servants owed him <clears throat> essentially 10,000 talents, which would be like 200,000 years of wages. Obviously, he's exaggerating. He's saying something ridiculous. The guy owes him all this money. And the guy's like, I can't pay it. And he goes, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll just forget the whole thing. I'll forgive you that debt. <laughs> the guy's like, great. Then that guy goes and finds another servant that owes him just a, an amount, 100 denarii, which would be down there in verse um, 28, which would be essentially like four months' wages. It was a decent amount of money, but nothing like, you know, 200,000 years of wages. So he tells him, you need to pay up. And the guy goes, man, please, I'll pay. Let me pay a little at a time. I'll work it off. I'll pay you. And he goes, no, you're wicked. And I'm going to throw you in jail and I'm going to beat you until you've paid every penny of this. Well, the word got out to the, to the king, to the big boss. And he calls him in and he goes, remember that, that little matter of millions and millions of dollars that I forgave from you? Now you threw a guy in jail who owes you 
you know, a few thousand dollars. Um, tell you what, I'm throwing you in jail, and until you pay every penny of that, and he said, in fact, they're going to torture you. And then Jesus says, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. Now, again, put the whole thing into context. He's basically saying, you need to get along with each other. If you watch children and you allow children to influence you, you'll be amazed at how much you can learn. They have more of, a, of an instinct in this area than you do. Because as you get older, one of the first things you lose is that childlike humility that, that you naturally had, but you begin to lose it as you're deciding that I want to be more powerful than somebody else. I want to be better than somebody else. So he says, you've got to train yourself to just to not put a limit on how much you're going to put up with from people. Let's go 70 times 7 times. If they sin, assuming it's a sin. Now, I don't know how many people have actually sinned against us. Usually when I think somebody sinned against me, it's just because they had a different opinion than I did. It's not easy to even decide who's sinning against who. And so, but Jesus is saying here, there are eternal ramifications to the people that I love, who I want them to be with me in heaven. I want them to be a part of my kingdom. And, you know, if you can't humble yourself and teach yourself to be more like a child, you will miss out on everything that my kingdom is all about. It'll, be, it'll seem, the way I do things is going to seem so weird to you. And again, it, if I am willing to forgive you, let's say that I go, okay, you did something against me and I'm pretty sure it was wrong. Well, so what? How big of a deal is that? Now, do I'm, am I going to insist that you end up agreeing with me? That's not going to happen. Because most people don't plan on doing something wrong. They think it's right. And they actually will defend that what they did was right. And so Jesus is saying, you can't sit there and solve all these squabbles on the playground. Life is a playground. Kids are valuable, and so are adults. They're just big kids. So he says, understand this. There's a way to continue to release your hunger for power, your sense of superiority, your desire to control others, and instead, you can play nice. You can get along with people knowing that how you get along with them will have eternal ramifications. You've probably had, there are times when somebody died and you hadn't seen them for a while, and you like, Man, I wish I had one more. If I had known they were going to die, I I certainly would have expressed to them how much I appreciated them. A lot of times when people die, it's kind of funny. People inflate them, you know, in a much greater way than they even than is even realistic. Because I've been at funerals where you know people talk about the person who died and acted like. 
they were like a saint. And you're like, what? Not, that's not the guy I knew. But life is that way. And it's so important that we understand from a perspective without trying to be better than anyone else and just being like, let's just play like kids. Let's play nice. I, as parents, a lot of times, it worries you when you see your kids play with certain kids because you think, oh, man, that kid's going to be a bad influence. He seems like a rough kid. And your kids don't have a sense of that at all. I loved for, with my boys, both of them would go out of their way, and especially Will would all that. He still does it to this day. He finds people on the fringe, and he befriends them, and he includes them. And he could have, you know, tried to play the kiss-up part and, oh, you know, pastor's son and do all that. But instead, no, he, he, he always wanted to be his own man, but he all, also would really reach out to people who, who didn't quite fit in a lot of times. And I admired that about him so much. I, I've probably told you the story before, but when he was in kindergarten, at, we were at Calvary, and I went over and I was watching the kids play on the playground, and he had told me that, he, that he, was, he mentioned this kid, Jason, a lot. And I thought, oh, okay. I go, hey, Will, which one's Jason? And he goes, the one in the blue shirt. And Jason was the only black kid in his class. And I thought, he sees him as having a blue shirt. And I just started crying. Because I'm like, that's the world I want my kids to grow up in, where that's, what, that's how you see people. You don't see them as an ethnikos. You see them as somebody who is loved by God, who you're blessed to be around them. And, and that's something that kids do naturally. It's something that we as adults need to learn to do a little more effectively, I think. And really, ultimately, Jesus isn't here making a way for churches to push people around and judge them and decide who wins and who loses. Jesus is not interested in your little fights that you're having with other people. He doesn't care. You're, you can be in and out of court all the time. He doesn't really care whether you win or lose. What he wants you to do is to act more like a kid and treat people the way kids treat them and allow him to transform you to where you don't ever get beyond that pure simplicity of the way that God actually designs people to function. It's an important lesson it was for the disciples, and it is for us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this 18th chapter of Matthew. It challenges us, because it's much easier for us to look at the scriptures that we want to see and talk about how power can function. But telling us that we don't even belong in your kingdom unless we can take on a child's mentality, that's a stretch. Because we've tried so hard to grow up. All around us, everyone was telling us to grow up. And you're telling us, no, man, I love kids. I want you to be more like children. I want you to keep that youthful enthusiasm. I want you to keep that ability to be able to get along with and play with almost anyone. The short memory, the good, the good uh, 
aspect of forgiveness that you can incorporate. So Lord, help us to reflect these values. Help us to be humble. Help us to be forgiving. And help us to do what we can to treat people as those who are treasured by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.